Blog Talk Radio. Sunday. This is Candace, um, and you are joining us for another edition of Cinema Noir. And I am joined by my lovely co-hosts Kimberly Renee and Rebecca Theodora Sean. Hey, ladies. Hey, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. We have a very packed show as usual for you today. Um, we're going to talk about first and foremost. We're going to open the show with. Um, a discussion around Death Note and Iron Fist, which you guys might have heard of. They're two Netflix shows um, that were based on um, Asian comics, if I if I um, have that correct. And they have both, and this is, and I put this in air quotes only because everyone else has put this in air quotes, have both been whitewashed to star white um, male actors. And so that has caused quite a controversy. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Then we're going to um, Kirk Moore, um, one of the writers from American Crime, and he also has a new show, 13 Reasons Why. Um, We're going to talk to him about the new season of American Crime and what might be in store for his new, um, which is also a Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why. Um, And then in honor of the last week of Women's History Month, we are going to talk a little bit about um, the history of representation of black actresses in period films. We're going to talk a little bit about that and what we hope to see from that representation, the genre, and what has already happened. Um, So without further ado, we're going to start talking immediately about, um, I don't know which one to start first, I guess we'll we'll go chronologically. We'll start with Iron Fist, which is actually already um, streaming and on on Netflix the entire season. I think this is the first season, um, and has been met with pretty at least from what I saw, unanimously panned. Um, there might and you know it's interesting because there's this some people or most people are just kind of panning it and most a lot of other people are just not even watching it so they're not even they're just panning it before they watch it and other people are, are when I say other people I say mainstream critics are really kind of reopening this debate over what is and what is not whitewashing and whether it's um whether the accusations if you will have been valid and so I'm going to throw this over to you Rebecca what are your thoughts on it um, <laughs> Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two conversations that are going on. Well, there's several conversations that are going on with Iron Fist, but like you said, chronologically, we could we can go back to 2014 when um, Netflix first announced that 
um, Iron Fist was going to be on their slate, right? So it was Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and uh, Iron Fist, a.k.a. Danny Rand. These are the four main characters that were going to make up the Defenders. So that was the end goal. So we're going to create, you know, so for for um, for Netflix, it was to create these individual shows, and the end goal was to create sort of like the superhero team of these four characters, right? So Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage have all been met with, for the most part, I think, overwhelmingly positive reviews. There are also critiques. With each of the properties, I have my own issues with them. I, I know we've talked with, you know, talked about Daredevil and had Sean Law, um, no, totally talking about the Asian representation on that and as far as, like, sort of the white feminism of Jessica Jones. Luke Cage had his issues, too, right? But for the most part, all the fans liked it. Um, but me, just speaking from a critical point of view, um Iron Fist, to me, seems to be the weakest um, of it. And there's a combination of things. Of course, we've been talking pretty much for three years about, um, you know, the the fact that a lot of people were, were um, looking at casting, or I should say fans were um, looking at casting an Asian-American actor as Iron Fist, right? We were like, okay, Danny Rand is white in the comics. He's been white pretty much for 40 years. But because of the cultural appropriation, which is different from whitewashing. Whitewashing is when you take a character who is Asian and make him white. Uh, with Iron Fist, that is not the case. Daniel Rand has been white in the comic books, um, represented as a white man. But, you know, people were thinking, let's think out the box. Why don't we race bend um, Danny Rand and perhaps make him Asian American to sort of course correct the cultural appropriation that Hollywood has done? Right. As far as, you know, a lot of martial arts movies starring white people, you know, or in The Last Samurai or The Great Wall, Ghost in the Shell. And these are recent properties. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that being said, while that conversation was going on, we can also look at Iron Fist from a critical point of view. Like, OK, you cast Finn Jones as it. Fine the show still sucks. <laughs> so mm-hmm. aside from all, aside from the idea of an Asian American iron fist, you know, my thing was watching the show. It just didn't appeal to me, you know, like it was just the writing was just weak. The action. Oh my gosh. The fighting and this is from Finn Jones point of view, right? I'm talking about the Danny Rand character. This is supposed to be someone who is the immortal weapon, right? He's the one who's supposed to stand um, or save the world from the hand, right? Which is this nefarious organization made mostly of evil Asian people, right? Um, Mm. Finn Jones is just not a believable action star to me. I am so sorry. Like, it just was not his fighting that, and he's gone on record. He has gone on record himself from his own mouth saying that there were certain times where he was learning the moves 15 minutes before they shot the scene, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that goes on Netflix. I don't know what the heck was going on with Netflix and Marvel Studios um, because he was saying that, you know, when he, um, because, you know, he's a British actor. When he came here, there really wasn't enough turnaround time for him to train the way that he needed to in order to execute these scenes. And it is painfully apparent when you watch these (laughs) shows, you know, like there are shots where you can actually make out the stunt person 
that is in some then that is in a lot of these scenes and I'm just not you know there's a lot of blame to go around right I'm trying to be fair Finn Jones has to hold his has to hold himself accountable as far as the statements that he's made and you know in his interviews and basically trying to explain away um you know a, you know his role in this okay fine Netflix and Marvel Studios, I'm not sure how much the percentage of blame goes between the two of them, but I am saying that if you were presenting a show where where the hero and the main protagonist of this show is supposed to be a martial artist, expert, we should have seen that, and we did not get that at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I really hold them accountable for that. Um, which makes me say that even if they had decided to get a white actor for the role, then you could have found a white actor that at least had some sort of martial arts background, right? Mm-hmm. Or had some sort of learning mm-hmm. curve that wasn't presented. And so the show just doesn't, it just doesn't hold up. That's just me. That That is my opinion. There are other people who have their opinions. Um, it's very interesting that if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, there's this huge disruptancy, right? Where the critic census is 18 percent rotten right whereas if you look at the audience if you look at the audience score it's 82 percent and I, I i don't remember seeing such a huge disruptancy because if you look at jessica jones or luke cage mm-hmm. i they're kind of within each other but this is crazy mm-hmm. um you know but again if you look at the audience score of rotten tomatoes you'll notice that a lot of the people um submitting their scores on the audience side are white dudes they can take that with three grains of salt <laughs> because they need the they need the they need the show to win, right? That's fine. All I'm saying is that as far as Iron Fist, I just don't feel that this show compared to the other Netflix offerings, it just did not hold up. I think it was it's a it's a greatly it's shot beautifully. Um, the set designs are beautiful. I I think it's it's, be, it's beautifully shot. But that being said, I just feel that, you know, the show is only as good as its lead, right? He mm-hmm. was not good. I, I think the standout in, just, in, in Iron Fist is Jessica Henwick as Colleen Wing. And I have to be honest, she's really the only reason that I really stayed invested in that show. I did not care about any of these characters. I didn't care about the Meacham family. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about any of the other characters. It was pretty much Colleen Wing. And um, also Rosaria Dawson reprises her role as Claire Temple. Mm-hmm. So other than these two characters, didn't really care. Didn't really care. So <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what, um, you know, if they intend to continue with Iron Fist, because I know the next show is going to be the Defenders where all of four of them, you know, get together. If Iron Fist mm-hmm. does get a second season, all I'm saying is that, there needs to be a whole reorganization from the top down. I think Scott Buck, who was the showrunner, he's formerly from Dexter. I don't think he was the right choice mm. for this show. I, I just don't. I think they need somebody who has a really great eye for action, right, and and can tell a story. So I'm thinking they need to maybe poach uh, Stephen Fung from Into the Badlands. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, somebody mm-hmm. had a, a great idea of the director of The Raid Redemption, which is one of the, mo- oh, wow. like, the most, fan- yeah, the most fantastic, like, martial arts movie I've seen in recent years. Like, you really need somebody that is going to nail the martial arts aspect of Iron Fist, and I, I don't think Scott 
Facebook did a good job with that. So you need somebody from the top that's going to do that. We're going to need a different writer's room. I hated a, a lot of these scripts. I, I, I did not like the dialogue for the most part. So I think new showrunner, new writers, and Finn Jones needs to take his little scrawny behind back to the gym, okay? And take this seriously. Like, get, you know, get some body conditioning. And I'm not saying, and here's the thing. This is not body shaming. I'm being very specific here. If you are an action hero, I need to believe that you can actually beat up five people in this scene, right? So you don't need to look like The Rock. You don't need to have like an eight pack or anything, but I just need to feel that you are a credible action star. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I really, I really feel like Finn Jones needs to step up his game. He's going to really have to put in hard work, right? Because Charlie Cox, who is the lead of Daredevil, um, you can find any interviews. You do a Google, his, his trainer, who is a black man, by the, by the way, there are video clips of Charlie putting work in the gym. And Charlie Cox is not a big guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, he has a similar build to Finn Jones, but when you watch his action scenes in Daredevil, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I believe that Matt Murdock could beat this dude up. I just never felt that mm-hmm. from Finn Jones. So I hope that maybe this will be a lesson to Netflix uh, to really take this seriously. And I hope that Finn Jones will understand that now that he is the lead of a show that he needs to put in the work. <laughs> he needs to put in the work. Everybody else put in the work. You didn't put in the work, and it shows. It just was not a good look. So, those are my five cents, my 25 cents on, on Iron Fist. <laughs> 25 cents. I'm always really, I guess, appalled by mm-hmm. how confident Hollywood often is when it comes to dealing with, um, for lack of a better word right now, ethnic properties like mm-hmm. Iron Fist or who, that have this type of um, cultural origin um, and have this type of confidence. And this is, this is so very, you know, part of Hollywood entitlement, white entitlement, white male entitlement. This is partly mm-hmm. why, I'm, I mean, I'm sure this is partly why their writing room looks the way, way it does, why they cast Past the person that they did, I'm just always appalled by the, I mean, appalled by the confidence and, and subsequent surprise by um, audience reaction. Like why? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, oh, we we did the thing that you guys wanted to do, wanted us to do, but we did it in our own way, and that's really the problematic part. When we talk about you know needing this type of diversity from Hollywood. It has to come in this genuine place where they actually care to recruit, um, you know, particular martial artists or particular actors or particular writers. It has to come with that sense of effort. Otherwise, then mm-hmm. why bother? That's been my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, because, I mean, we've had the debate, the whole debate about, you know, should Danny Rand uh, be race spent, right? Because we, we, we know now that. Um, the actor Louis Tan, who plays Zhu Chang in uh, episode eight, was in the running for Danny Rand's character. Um, and at the, you know, pretty much at the 11th hour, they pulled the plug and then cast Finn instead. And I mean, these things happen all the time, right? You know, until you sign the contract, nothing is ever, um, you know, black and white. Nothing is ever confirmed until you actually get that contract. But it, I think what made the controversy even worse 
you know, because a lot of people were like, oh, you know, F. Lewis Tan, he's just a C-list mm-hmm. um, stunt person, and he's a nobody. Like, why would he oh, wow. get the role? Yeah, mind you, who but knew I've never about heard of Lu- Thank you. He he just had a role on, he was on Game of Thrones and asked me if anybody even remembered his lines or his roles. No, we didn't. Um, but Oops. that's fine. Okay, you could have that. But what was interesting was that when the show dropped, right, and if anyone, if you want to go to Lewis Tan's timeline, it's the Lewis Tan. That's all he's been getting ever since the show has dropped. Everyone is like, oh, my God, you are so good. You know what I mean? Like, because he, mm-hmm. in episode eight, he it, he fight drunken master style, right? And he's dope. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, okay, mm-hmm. whether he gets Finn Jones or he got the Danny role, uh, Danny Rand role or not, okay, fine. What I am saying is that we definitely need to talk about the, the double standards, and I think you're talking about that, Candace, is the double standards mm-hmm. of how actors of color have to put in two times, three times the work to in mm-hmm. comparison to white actors mediocrity like they can literally mm-hmm. just roll out of the bed and just get a get a show because getting the show of getting mm-hmm. iron fist is a big deal like you're you're leading your own small screen franchise so to speak right mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. so to see the mediocrity in his acting and his action scenes is really an insult to every actor of color mm-hmm. that is putting in work at the gym that is putting in work with their acting coaches, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like the, it's the black tax, the Asian tax, the, La, the Latino tax, the Native American mm-hmm. tax. We always have to be that much better to get half and of still, what they get. Yeah. And still get ignored. <laughs> still mm-hmm. get ignored. It's, it's this whole thing like, you know, any white guy will do, but any POC has to be, like, exceptional, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's funny because I was looking at this and I was like, I have no clue who this Ben Jones person is. Like, yeah. never. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I was think I was just like, who is this guy? And I didn't know at first whether it was a showrunner who I also wasn't very familiar with. Is it like it's like a whole bunch of. I mean, I, I don't know the entire list of credits, but all the names that I was hearing, all it sounded was just, like, white guy central, like, no-name white guy central. Like, it was, it just seemed very, very distant. Like, there wasn't really anything for me prior to this, this controversy, this conversation. There wasn't really anything drawing me in. I was just like, oh, well, now, now that there, this is, this seems to be so much in in the narrative that that I'm hearing about every day. Now, now it seems a little bit more imperative to pay attention. But prior to that, it's, it's like it, it, like you said, it wasn't really appealing to me. And and the cover, yeah. I mean, the um, the trailer did nothing for me. I was like, oh, not okay, I. because. Right, and it just also brings me back to uh, Ghost in the Shell, where um, again I'm not entirely familiar with the origin origin story, but what I'm seeing, mm-hmm. and you know, we talk about representation, we talk about imagery as well. I'm seeing a a white woman helping or trying to help or try, you know trying to be her own hero, but also being the hero of a whole bunch of Asian people, and I'm just like. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> like, like I'm not, it's not, it's not compelling. It's not something that's just like, it doesn't seem urgent for me. Yeah. I got yeah. that same and, impression with Iron Fist. Yeah. And it, it, it's just, it's just really frustrating 
and this ties in Iron Fist, it, even though Iron Fist is more cultural appropriation and, as opposed to whitewashing, but it ties into this whole idea about as far as Ghost in the Shell, right? The, you know, there was a new trailer that dropped out. I think they dropped the first five minutes of it, right? And so there was this huge discussion about, um, you know, the fact that this version of Ghost in the Shell is an American remake, right? Same as Death Note, right? Death Note is the is the new Netflix series that the the um, the trailer dropped. I think one day before or after the Ghost in the Shell, so it was sort of like we were getting bombarded with all of this, right? Like twenty, like forty eight hours of wall to wall whitewashing, and yeah, like with Ghost in the Shell and Death Note, it's the same thing. It's the same fruit from the poisonous tree, right? That when you talk about American adaptations, um, because Death Note is an adaptation of Japanese manga, right? Um, Ghost in the Shell was a manga movie, right? These are these were both originally Japanese pro- um, projects where the protagonists were clearly of Asian descent. They were Japanese in the original versions. And then somehow in the Americanized adaptation, they were both whitewashed, right? And so people, there are people, and I'm including Film critics in this, okay, noted mm-hmm. film critics with verified checks next to their name that were going <laughs> hard in the paint defending this bullshit, right? They were like, well, mm-hmm. it's an American adaptation, um, so I don't really see what the problem is. Well, I'm going to tell you what the problem is. Why does American remake mean white? Yes, you can absolutely. Yes, you can absolutely update it, right? Because now Death Note takes place in modern day America in um, in, in Seattle. Are there not Asian American people that live in Seattle or did I just fall <laughs> off a turnip? Like, why is it like we've seen this time and time again, mm-hmm. um, you know, The Grudge, um, all of these movies, mm-hmm. uh, The Ring, that whenever they adapt these Japanese mm-hmm. properties into American movies, the cast is always white. And so mm-hmm. what you're telling me is that American people, that, Amer- that white people are the American default. And I don't understand why mm-hmm. these otherwise intelligent in- an educated film critic cannot wrap that around their heads. That's fucked up. You know what I'm saying? There mm-hmm. is absolutely mm-hmm. no reason why they could not have cast an Asian American actor as the light character in the Death Note remake. None. Yeah. Zero. There is no excuse. Yeah. And from what I understand, there is an actor by the name of, oh gosh, I can't remember what his first name is, but he was very open and he did a, um, a, a YouTube vlog I'll post it once I find it, where he said that he talked to his agent and when he said that he was interested in, um, you know, uh, auditioning for the role of the of the light character, the main character, his agent said to him specifically, they're not looking at, at, at any actors of Asian descent, which means that the mandate mm-hmm. was already made that they were going to cast white people. So you cannot mm-hmm. tell me that that is not racism and that is not discrimination. There was no open casting call. You only cast white people. And casting Lakeith Stanfield, who I love as an actor, you know, you, mm-hmm. you cast like the, the token black guy. That's not diversity. Come on. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. And the whole, you know, it's, it's really frustrating, particularly being in these conversations with other film critics, many of which who are white, many of which who are male, and really, really going hard. For they're like they're and this is what I this is there seems to be a trend of people being offended by you being offended, which seems mm-hmm. ridiculous. I'm just like okay, only one person. I play the role of the person who's offended. You play the play the role of the person who's quiet. 
that's your role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. So, but there's <laughs> there's this whole um, idea like, oh, well, if they were to cast an Asian person or, or an actor of Asian descent or what have you, the, it, it likely nobody will watch it or nobody or it won't sell. Do you know how racist that sounds? Do you, do you not yep. care that you just sounded so racist <laughs> and kind of confirms what I've already just said? And and that's the thing. Like, they say these things so with conviction and they're so um, – they're so adamant about it and just like, okay, first of all, shut up because you, you're making yourself sound stupid and you don't want me, you don't want me to really call you out. Like, like you should be called out. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's always, and, and, and we get into these conversations a lot with other, you know, white critics that are really, they're just apologists for the status quo apologists for like, I know it's effed up, but you know, this is what we've been doing forever. Like why bother changing it now? Well, because it's been wrong and it remains wrong. And it's actually a simple solution. It's a simple solution Mm -hmm. that you're intentionally Mm -hmm. avoiding. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And the idea that no one will watch it is insane because that's saying that only white people Mm -hmm. watch movies. And Mm -hmm. we know that is right. Completely Mm -hmm. false. And the idea exactly. that, like you said, just having one black character, oh, it's diverse. If it was truly diverse, there would be, there wouldn't be an issue of that one character. There would be many characters. There would be blacks and Asians mm-hmm. and Latinos. It looked like America. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. Yeah. But they don't see it. They don't see it. And it's not the first time. And it won't be the last time. And they just continue to act like it's not a thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand. It's true. It's true. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's just exhausting to kind of be into this, be in this conversation over and over and exhausting to engage with these apologists. And when I say apologists, I don't don't mean trolls because I Mm -hmm. I have zero tolerance and time for, for, for them. But these are like, you know, like you said, Rebecca, established critics who have a whole bunch of bylines and a whole bunch of bylines from respected um, outlets who are, um, who are spewing this just, just crazy, um, just, you know, they're, they're, they're spewing this narrative and presenting it as though it's completely okay to feel and project this narrative. And it's just, and that's, I think, one of the most frustrating parts for me. I'm just like, okay, why do I have to explain why you sound mm-hmm. crazy <laughs> and why do I have to like you're again you're verifying what I've already had said was the problem and you're yeah you're not helping period shut up yeah no it's true and <laughs> and the thing is what I've noticed and we talked about this when we had our panel yesterday Candace, is that I noticed whenever mm-hmm. there's a conversation about cultural appropriation and whitewashing of Asian um, characters in American, I'm being very specific here, in American media, right, in in Hollywood imagery, um, it seems that mainstream white outlets, the first Mm -hmm. thing that they do whenever they're writing an article about it, they reach out to actors of Asian descent who are overseas. Right? They will speak mm-hmm. to they will speak to people from a uh, from J- Japan, China, Taiwan. They will do everything in their power except to people who are actually Asian American here, right? And what happens mm-hmm. is that, and I'll give you an example. The actress, and I have to laugh at this because it's so freaking ludicrous. Um, in Ghost mm-hmm. in the Shell, Scarlett Johansson's 
character, her mother is played by a Japanese actress, okay? A Japanese actress. And so when this whole controversy of the whitewashing came out, I'm sure the PR people were like, oh, we've got to control the situation. So they had the Japanese actress who played Scarlett Johansson's mother. And again, I'm laughing at this. Um, hey, what do you think about Scarlett Johansson playing, um, you know, the major role? Um, do you think it's whitewashing? And then, of course, she was like, well, I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, Scarlett is, you know, mm -hmm. such a great actor, great actress of her generation, blah, 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 whatever. And again, mm -hmm. not this, I don't want to denigrate what she's saying, but what I'm saying to people who are overseas in Asia, they don't understand the whitewashing issue, right? Because if you are a, a person who, are, who lives in Japan, when you wake up in the morning, you see yourself 24-7. You see yourself all mm -hmm. the time. There are shows, there are billboards, there are magazines. You will always see yourself, right? Asian American people do not have that luxury. It's two mm -hmm. different, it's two things. Asian and Asian American are not the same thing. And a lot of mainstream mm -hmm. outlets and, and, and white writers do not grasp this. And I don't understand why uh -uh. this is not, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's not rocket science <laughs> like why yeah. are you not talking to constance Wu or bd wong or yeah. you know uh, uh daniel day kim because i'm sure they'll be more well they all three of them did an article for the new york times and they spilled the tea mm -hmm. they were like yo th mm -hmm. this is bs but for the most part a mm -hmm. lot of mainstream outlets don't do that you know and that's their way candace of keeping the status quo they're like oh we get this asian people mm -hmm. this asian person to co-sign on our whitewashing then you people need to shut the hell up and we're right. doing, the jig is the jig is up the jig is up nobody's falling for that yeah. it's crazy because they're very strategic they specifically will will get you know the one or two people in like needles and haystacks they'll get the one or two people who actually can back up you know can support what their motives are, and then completely avoid the millions of other people who have been saying that this is an atrocity. And that's very strategic. They're keeping their narrative, they're keeping their message intact. Mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, that they also always act like the actors that are involved in this, but what about the people who are actually making this, that are making these decisions? Mm -hmm. Ask them, like, why do you think it's okay? Why is this a thing? Like you get the mm -hmm. soundbite from the actress who, you know, of course doesn't agree with it, but, I mean, what can she do? She just wants a job. <laughs> you know, right. why are you still doing this in 2017? Why is this okay? Why do you think it's okay? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <sighs> it's frustrating. Do we have our Very. call? Is Turk on the line yet? Um, no, not yet. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, um I guess that is it unless you guys want to say a little bit more about Death Note Iron Fist or just overall Asian representation in Hollywood on the small screen. Um, if not, we move on to our next segment. Yay, May. Yeah, we can move. And oh, Kim can okay, let us cool. know when Kurt calls in. Um so we're going to talk a little bit in honor of Women's History Month. We're going to talk a little bit about um, Black women in period films and just basically the history of representation of um, Black actresses and their roles um, and agency in um, films. 
And I thought I I thought of this. I'm thinking of films like including but not limited to um, the Curious Case of Benjamin, Benjamin Button, The Help, Miss um, Jane, uh, Jane Pittman. You know, I'm thinking about I'm I'm kind of like going in the vault, and I wanted to hear from you guys on uh, what your thoughts were in terms of what you have seen what you might have seen that's problematic and what you hope to see from um, just representation in period film. So I'll throw this over to you, Kim. Well, I know for me, the things that I um, like to see or hope to see more of, I think a lot of times when we have these period films, we are focused on like the struggle of mm-hmm. black women in particular, um, you know, especially with the help, them dealing with all the issues, being, quote, unquote, the help, and uh, sitting mm-hmm. in these racist homes trying to, you know, provide for their families while taking care of these other people's families, or we have these period pieces where they are slaves or things like that. And so I, what I would mm-hmm. like to see are more films where we are celebrated for, you know, things other than that, not to discredit any part of our history. You know, all those things are important. But I think one of the reasons that, like, Hidden Figures was so popular and so many people kind of identify with that is because it's a different story that we haven't seen from African-American women in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, these are women that were super intelligent, that were, you know, behind the scenes doing all this work, helping, you know, establish our space program. And their story was pretty much ignored until just mm-hmm. recently. And so mm-hmm. I think we need more we need to see more hidden figures. We need to, there are plenty of stories out there of things African American women have done outside of being the help, outside of being slaves, outside of taking care of, you know, this white family and that's the kind of story that I would mm-hmm. love to see. Which is why another film that I like was Belle. It's one of the few mm-hmm. period pieces where, you know, she wasn't a slave. She did have issues with, you know, dealing with her race at that time, but, you know, she triumphed over all of that. So that's definitely something that I would like to see more of. And I was trying to go through and think of some films where we got that, and I was, it was a struggle. <laughs> it was definitely it a struggle. Well, you mentioned Hidden Figures. I would also put Fences. Um, I'm just thinking of most recently. Fences is also a period film. I think it's set in the 50s. Um, right. And it's very... I just thought it was one of the most human films of last year, aside from Moonlight, and that's one of the reasons why um, I really, really loved um, Fences. thought it was really good. Um, it's interesting because I had this conversation with somebody about hidden figures. It wasn't a long conversation because I, I, I really do not have the patience for idiocy. And so um, <laughs> I was talking to this, this, he was a guy, a black guy, who, um, about Hidden Figures, and I was just raving about it, and oh my goodness, you know, saying some of the things you have already said, Kim, about how important it is, and how we need more films like it, and he was just like, he was just really unimpressed with the whole, like, not debate, but like, narrative around it, like, why are people so, like, so on it, like, you know, in terms of, you know, um, it's importance and things like that, he was just like, one, he didn't think it was that great, but more importantly, he thought that it was just like, it, he, he, while, yes, it did celebrate women, but he didn't, he didn't really get the whole, I guess, the, the, the gravity of the fact that it actually exists and that, and that really just annoyed me. But um, 
and and I was getting into those conversations with a lot of guys from a lot of different ethnic backgrounds, and they and it, they were saying similar things. It was just like, I mean, it's okay. It's a fun movie. It's a feel-good movie. It's a family movie or whatever. And I'm just like, it's an important movie. Like, not, not to say that it's just a fun, you know, uh, a feel-good movie. And a lot of people were kind of saying that. And I was just like, no, it's not just feel-good. It's actually really important. And, and, and what I kind of what I, what I started seeing a lot of is that people were just like mad that this is the first time that they've hear that they're hearing of this story myself including I'm just like oh well, why wasn't this talked about like all the time we hear about Buzz Armstrong and all and all these other people all their counterparts really and people who they helped um but we didn't hear their stories and so that's my two cents on who figures but I did, um, it made me think about what I do want to see from the genre, if you will. I want to see more, um, um, like, speculative horror that take place in another time period. Um, mm-hmm. Not in the future, but in the past. I would like to see that. Because I'm thinking of, because um, I know folks have been talking about Octavia Butler a lot, and even something yeah. like that, or you know any one of her books, or um, some somebody kind of similar to um, Octavia Butler, but it could even be an original, completely original production that's not based on a book. But I would love to see something like that because I think that that, particularly with the success of Get Out and and the conversation that Get Out has has sparked, I think not to say. We haven't been ready, but I think we need to get ready for this type of influx of films that um, kind of fall within that line. So that's kind of what I like to say. I was just that's always been my thing when we talk about representation and black representation is about the variety, the diversity of narrative. Um, it's as it's as um, as important as just having. Uh, you know, representing um, people of color in the film, I would love to just see diversity of narrative, different genres, different mm-hmm. um, types of characters, different storylines. Like, not everything has to be the same thing. Just, you know, we just want the, we want the, um, we want the choice to see a variety of films. And so that right. that's always kind of been my thing. Yeah. Rebecca? I think so, too. Um, it would be great to have, like you said, Octavia Butler's Kindred. That is one of my favorite books. I would mm-hmm. love, love, love for that to be made into a film. Mm-hmm. I agree. Rebecca, did you have any thoughts about this subject? Um, yeah. Well, I just, just a couple of things. Um, as far as period dramas, um, I just saw an article. I'm, I'm going to retweet it on the timeline. Um Mm-hmm. And this kind of came out with the whole debate with Samuel Jackson, which we talked about before. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, Tandy Newton has been very open and, and quite a few actors of color who are from, you know, from the UK have been very open. Um, Briz Ahmed talks about this in his speech to the mm-hmm. parliament that the the challenge for a lot of actors of color in Britain is that they are limited opportunities because the UK film industry and, you know, extending into the TV industry, they're obsessed with period dramas, right? They're, they yeah. want to do the 16th, 17th, 18th period dramas. And then when you are a person of color like Tandy Newton or Riz Ahmed and you show up, they're like, ah, but you know what? 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, people of color didn't didn't exist back then, so we can't put you into this tea and crumpets production, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, mm-hmm. we know that is not true. When we look at history books. People of color have existed in UK for centuries, okay? But mm-hmm. that's the false narrative that the casting directors and the filmmakers, and so therefore, you know, Tandy was like, this is why I can't you know, this is why I have to come here to work because whenever they want to do, you know, a period drama, I don't look right, right? I don't have the right mm-hmm. skin color for it. Um, so what was really great, I think this came out, um, Shadow and Act, shout out to Shadow and Act. Um, there's this one project that I'm so excited about because um, there's this uh, web, there's this Twitter account, it's called Medieval POC and it is, it is um, strictly, um, concentrating on showing um, images and photos of people in, of color in, like, you know, ancient times or medieval times mm-hmm. in the revolution in, you know, overseas, which just kind of debunks that whole thing. But there was one picture that had been circulating around the um, Internet. It was a black woman dressed as an equestrian, right? It was from the 19th century, and everybody was like, oh, my God, who is this mm-hmm. person? Um, and come mm-hmm. to find out that the person is actually, her name was Salika. I'm going to find her name right now. Um, mm-hmm. Her name was Salika, and she was a African princess who was raised by royalty. Yes, Salika Lazevsky. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a 19th century high society equestrian. So she was adopted by this rich white family, and she was like a very famous equestrian. And so um, come to find mm-hmm. out that there is actually a short film that is going to be starring um, the star of um, Girlhood, one of my favorite movies. And so she's oh, going to be yeah. playing. Yeah. So she's going to play Salika and um, she's been um, kind of putting pictures on her Instagram and um, um, Shadow and Act posted it. And these pictures look amazing. Like I want that whole mm-hmm. outfit. You know what I mean? And it's just <laughs> like, like these are the stories we don't see much like Belle, right? We don't, we've never mm-hmm. seen stories of women of color or mixed race. Um, descent, you know, in these type of spaces. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that story. Um, and I can't wait for it to come out. I think it's supposed to be in April. Um, and then the other thing, as far as period pieces with black women, is on the TV side, um, the WGN series called Underground. Holy mm-hmm. crap. <laughs> the things <laughs> that they are doing with this show are like constantly, like the first season totally blew my mind, right? For anybody who doesn't know, Underground is a fictionalized, right? It's, it's fiction, but it takes place in slavery times. It's this one plantation where a group of slaves, um, you know, conspired to escape, right? And it's sort mm-hmm. of like this great, like Mission Impossible type um, mm. show and what it does is that it so brilliantly subverts the trope of the slow and stupid slave right mm-hmm. that Hollywood has been portray- perpetrating on us for decades but these people are really mm-hmm. smart you know what I mean and, and cunning mm-hmm. in some ways and evil and devious in others um, mm-hmm. but in the second season uh, the second season just started this month they've added way more um, female characters, way more women of color. And I think mm-hmm. there's this one storyline where they, they introduce an abolitionist group, right? Where, the, the, you know, mm-hmm. to the outside, they look like these very benign, sweet women that are in a sewing club, right? But it's not a sewing group. It is actually a gun club. <laughs> these women uh, are like snap. packing. 
they're packing heat and they're, you know, they're, they're working with the Underground Railroad and working with Harriet Tubman, who they've also included in the show. Um, Aisha Hines is mm-hmm. playing Harriet Tubman and she's brilliant. And it is just so exciting. Yeah, and it's so exciting to see these black women and these mixed race women that are really taking their freedom and their, you know, autonomy literally in their own hands. I've never seen mm-hmm. that in a, you know, even with 12 Years of Slave, while I love 12 Years of Slave, you know, the Adipero character, like they were pr- pretty much like beaten down. And, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the character, uh, uh, Patsy character. But in this mm-hmm. show, like these women run it. <laughs> and run it mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. fighting guys they've got machetes they've got guns they've got whips like they're just fearless <laughs> and I've never seen anything like that and I was just like I mean on any on Wednesday night it is always trending it is one of the top five trending shows it's doing really great in the in the ratings mm-hmm. and I mean it's, it's really feeding an appetite of what people want to see, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I hope that mm-hmm. Hollywood would be like, oh, you know what, this is what they want to see, you know, that the, they want to mm-hmm. see um, really smart and, and brave women of color that are not taking their cues from white women. But no, we're mm-hmm. running it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I want to get back to something that you had said earlier about just, what was I going to say? Um, Hollywood just not, um, Seeing black people, or particularly black women, part of our conversation, black women, in these particular time periods, and when they do, it's of a, it, it, they only see them as oppressed. Here's the thing: historical mm-hmm. fiction, just like what you describe, underground, um, is mm-hmm. historical fiction is is still relevant and still really, really successful in terms of books yes. as, as well as movies as, as well as TV shows. Like, there's no reason why you can't set a film. It could be, you know, speculative horror. It could be speculative fiction, just drama, where, you know, kind of what you were telling me about Into the Badlands, but that's futuristic. But something that, you know, a Black woman could be, you know, maybe she's an equestrian. Maybe it's the 18th century. Maybe she is a ruler of some sort. There, your imagination should, should know no bounds. And it's not, and it wouldn't be... Um, revisionist history because it is clearly fiction but it's just a way for you to reimagine the genre to be more inclusive and that's something that historical fiction and this type of um, speculative fiction genre is really good for and that's something that we should definitely be be striving striving more toward I mean that I don't know why we haven't really done a lot of it yet but that now I mean it's past time, but now is definitely the time to, to really get that trend going, I would say, um, and really mm-hmm. just kind of break the myth that because as, as long as you continue to perpetuate the myth that black people were um, only a certain position in a certain time period, even in fictionalized stories, the more harm you're doing. It's still not mm-hmm. reaching the status quo. And I know that's scary to disrupt the status quo, but we're talking about <laughs> fiction. This is crazy. That <laughs> <laughs> we're still yeah. having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and fiction, and the thing we've seen is that fiction does um, influence our actual future right like when you watch mm-hmm. um star trek right like they had the flip communicators which became the flip phone so but there's a lot of speculative 
fiction, um, sci-fi, or mm-hmm. other genres that have come to pass, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's that seed that just needs to be planted. And then, you know, like um, I think they said that um, – 24, right? 24 was the first TV series Mm -hmm. that featured a black man playing a president, right? And then President Mm -hmm. Obama was voted. Like, so sometimes you just need (laughs) that imagination to just have that imagery like, oh, yeah, I can see a black body that is governing Mm -hmm. our country. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. sometimes they can Mm -hmm. do that. And um, the one thing I I did want to add is like, um, what you were saying, Candice, building on that is that as far as like the way we see black women, right. In, in the future, um, as far as futuristic mm-hmm. projects, um, a couple of days ago, Danielle Brooks from orange is the new black, um, mm-hmm. tweeted this picture. Holy crap. I think I'm in love with yeah. her. I know he looks, I know what they're right? talking about. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. She looked beautiful. She, she tweeted mm-hmm. it and I know what she did because just the day before, you know, um, big girl Twitter had been, trending right so I guess that was her way of just kind of you know um, contributing to the conversation and I was just looking at her I'm looking at her skin her body her face and I'm like mm-hmm. you know she's kind of similar to me in some ways and I'm like this is the one imagery we don't see of black women right mm-hmm. while for the most part we are getting more representation of black women the body mm-hmm. types are still sort of conforming to a Hollywood sort of way right like when you look at Gabrielle Union and Kerry Washington but we don't Mm -hmm. have women like Danielle Brooks that can be in a futuristic sci-fi movie why shouldn't Mm -hmm. she right why can't she Mm -hmm. play an astronaut an astronaut or mission control or you know Mm -hmm. she's like the savior of humanity why not you know Mm -hmm. and but Mm -hmm. but because of the way that she looks we're still even black filmmakers are still kind of stunted in the way that they Mm-hmm. portray black women and I want us to kind of work mm-hmm. on that too and not only you know plus size women but but, but disabled women too right mm-hmm. you know I'm friends with Velissa Thompson she's an, a, a fantastic right. uh, disability activist and I'm like I would love mm-hmm. to see a movie where she has her representation too like why can't a woman mm-hmm. in a wheelchair be the president of the United States why not mm-hmm. yeah. we did have one of those by the way <laughs> <laughs> we did have a president who was in a wheelchair in real life. Like it right. actually happened. <laughs> yeah. So if, if, why can't we have a black woman, right? So it's like, let's take it to right. the next step. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, we have so long, we have so far to go. I mean, we've taken these, you know, small, very subtle strides, but we, we have so, so much to go. And I'm glad you, you brought up 24 because, one, I'm also watching the new season, which I actually really like. Um, but, yeah, I remember when um, David Palmer, President David Palmer, he's played by Dennis Hayward. Hey, um, yeah, Hayward, right? On the, on the show, and who's fine as hell, by the way. I don't know how old he is. I don't care. <laughs> but <laughs> that man is fine. Um, but I just remember that moment. We were just like, wow, this is, this is happening on, you know, major primetime television. And it's so funny. It was, I mean, I, I, because I don't remember social media at that time when that happened, but I just remember thinking that it wasn't like, I don't remember getting a lot of backlash or hearing a lot of backlash about it, which was the first kind of um, hint to me that I was just like, okay, finally we're ready to actually have something like this without it being, 
a conversation, you know, a controversy or anything that we actually have to address. This is just normal behavior. Black men become presidents mm-hmm. of the United States. This is normal behavior. And it was good that um, I don't know how mm. much that influences influence people's um, mind shift, if you will, mm-hmm. in terms of um, the election of the first election of um, President Obama. But I do think, like you said, it, it, it might have played a pretty, pretty big role. And I think also it gave the, it gave the allegiance for other writers to write in, oh, say you have an Asian, um, Asian American U.S. president, or say you have a woman president. It gave them allegiance to actually have, to, to, to consider that as a possibility, despite the fact that it's so basic, but to consider that a possibility mm-hmm. and to write that into their own script. Yes, there needs to be more work on that just to, to, to include more inclusivity of other marginalized groups. But I'm glad that, I'm, I'm hoping that something, something like having, you know, again, going back to my Black woman equestrian in the 18th century um, narrative, hope, uh, hoping something like that would actually influence other writers to think outside the box or think outside the palette that they've been, to me, brainwashed into accepting. So. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, I love that you use that word normal because I think, and I mm-hmm. think um, Shonda Rhimes had said this last year where she was like, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to use the word diversity anymore. What I'm doing is it, it's a normalization, right? Where we don't even, mm-hmm. you know, when we have a, a, a podcast five years from now, we don't even have to have these kind of conversations anymore because we will see mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Well, we'll mm-hmm. we'll see, you know, disabled black women presidents on screen, or we'll see futuristic plus size astronauts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just mm-hmm. those types of things. It's like we just want them to be normalized and not diverse. Like it's just a splash of color, which is really what a lot mm-hmm. of Hollywood is doing, right? They're just like, um, well, the news came out yesterday that there's this show. I think it's Mission Control, right? It's a it's a pilot that was aired by ABC originally. The the, the script was supposed to have a Spanish-speaking Latina lead and a black male lead, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow they they announced the casting yes on Friday, and now the lead is Poppy Montgomery and the white dude from Grimm. How'd you go for I that? Love that he's, I just... love that he. I love that he. I love that he doesn't have a name. He's just a white dude from Grimm. I love that. He's never going to have a name to me anymore. He's just going to be the white dude from Grimm. That's how he's going to be referred that to from here on out. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I'm not trying to disrespect the guy, but I was just like, like, what are you guys doing? And so, of course, it, the information mm-hmm. leaked out that the leads were supposed to be two leads of color. And then, you know, CBS tried to do the, well, what had happened was they were like, well, we, we, <laughs> offered, we, we offered the leads to a Latina actress and a black actor and they turned us down. Okay, so they turned you down. Are you saying that that was the only black actor and the only Latina actress that you could find? Like, that's that's laziness. That is laziness. Yeah, I I saw that and I was like, so you only brought in those two? Because I can name 37 (laughs) right now. Montgomery and old dude whose name we don't even know. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> that was fun. That was insane. So yeah, bad. I remember you tweeting that, Rebecca, and I was just like, that sounds crazy. <laughs> it just it sounds so good. And it kind of, these, like, 
little, because now we've kind of gotten into, the, or, or journalists have gotten into the habit of um, responding to negative criticism or ne- negative reaction to a story and, through another article that's also badly written. <laughs> and so, and so th- and then they kind of, you know, dig themselves into a further, a deeper hole. So I'm going to go back because I, I hate that this happened. And I kind of, I, I'd like to remind people that Moonlight won Best Picture Oscar in case anybody forgot. <laughs> I know it went down kind of weird, but they did win. Um, and so the next day, was it, or a couple of days afterwards, uh, either Variety or Hollywood Report, Reporter, and I'm starting to kind of blend the two at the moment, but I think it was Variety who had, um, or maybe it was Hollywood Reporter, actually. They had did a, um, did a cover story on Damien Chazelle, with an aside, Barry Jenkins, who was the winner. And so they, and so it, it was funny because both, but, you know, uh, social media reaction were just like, oh, why did you have to have both of them? We were already in our feelings about the way it went down and everything. And you still have this man, you still have this fool on your cover. Like, what, what's going on? There was all this, you know, conversation about it. And both, you know, white critics, you know, they were apologists. And then, you know, everybody else, I wouldn't even just say black critics. I would say everybody else who was in the non-white were just like, you know, this is, this is ridiculous, blah, blah. And so Hollywood Reporter then says, well, let me explain why we did that. We did that because we assumed that Damien Chazelle and, um, well, not Damien Chazelle, but they, they assumed that La La Land was going to win Best Picture Oscar. And they were wrong, but they still had to go over the story. And so they're just like, oh, why don't we bring Barry Jenkins in there and can kind of talk to old dude about what at this point I don't know because now he didn't win so it's just like it's awkward for everybody involved here and so the whole the whole thing was just like oh well we never expected him to win and that's why we didn't actually invite him to to do his his own we didn't invite him really to do an interview with Damien Giselle we also didn't really invite him to do like an interview one-on-one with us so their whole reasoning of effing up was like oh well Mm -hmm. we didn't we you know we we didn't really want Moonlight to win anyway so we we just kind of pretended it didn't exist and so I I say that all to say I say that all to say, you know, just like the same thing with CVS, like saying, oh, well, you know, we would have, it's just like, at this point, it's just like, they're, they're just trying to pull them, they're putting, they're digging themselves into a deeper hole. And it's just like, just shut up. You know, you did dirty, just own your dirtiness and be, and be like, and what? Like, I'd rather you just be like, yeah, we did that. And what? Whatever. Y'all just sit, sit at home and watch. You know, I, I have to let this do that. You know what I mean? Like, don't try to explain it because you sound crazy and you just verify what we've already said. And so, anyway, right. yeah. Yeah. No, I love that you said own their dirtiness because that may be, because this is variety you're talking about, right? Or, yeah, or Hollywood so. Reporter. Okay. Because, you know, it was so yeah. crazy. Yeah, because, you know, it was so crazy because I remember, like, leading up 
hours before the Oscars, like mo- like the majority outlets, and I'm talking about mainstream outlets, had all but predicted. They were like, oh, La La Land is going to win. It was a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. for them. They're like, they're going to win Best Picture. You know what I mean? And, it, and they were just treating mm-hmm. Moonlight like this redheaded stepchild. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, y'all were cute. Y'all, y'all had that little run. That was cute, boo-boo, but no. You know what I mean? And so to see that happen, never mind that whole mishap that happened with reading the wrong picture, but I just love that we were able to give them the middle finger. I was like, finally, the Academy Mm -hmm. has done something right. You guys picked the better picture, and I don't care what nobody says. You know what I mean? And then what happened Mm -hmm. after the Oscars, I noticed that there were certain mainstream writers right Mm -hmm. who were writing this whole they were like oh what I was so disappointed with and you know you know they were talking to black talking about black people because we're not stupid they Mm -hmm. were like oh I was so (laughs) disappointed in how this turned into a race thing like it was it was made a race no motherfuckers y'all made it a race thing from jump we didn't do that y'all did that you know what I'm saying so they they were just like looking at black people celebrating the win of moonlight and they were in their little white feelings because La La Land didn't win you know what I mean their great great white hope of you know white capacity didn't win and so they were just all in their feelings talking about oh you guys made it a race thing y'all are petty and I was like I own my pettiness because I didn't want that damn movie to win because it was wasn't good. It was not a good right. movie. You know what I mean? Right. And so they were just basically trying to shame black people and shame people of color for actually celebrating a movie about black mm-hmm. queer people, right? Mm-hmm. Where nobody mm-hmm. dies and gets shot. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. care. You guys can stay mm-hmm. mad. Whatever. Right. No, it's really I just remember that day and I was I was because I was already in my feelings after the way it went down. And then to see mm-hmm. that cover, I was just like, I lit up Twitter and folks were just like, well, I don't understand. Like, what, why you're upset? Like, they both won. And I'm just like, actually, they didn't just both win. So shut up and sit down. This is what the problem is. You revision, Thank you. revising history from two days ago. It hasn't even been that long. And you already forgot. This is the problem. This is the problem. I was so upset. I was so upset. I said, Jesus, take the wheel because these people are going to hurt me today. It was so crazy. I was just like, well, this is, this is the problem. Don't be mad because I'm mad. You can, you, again, I'm the mad person. You're the person who shuts up. That's your role. Right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it just drives me crazy. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta remind people of their role sometimes. They're funny. It's like we're both victims. It's like no, you can't. You you play yeah. the, the oppressor, and I'm still the one who's oppressed. Remind yourself of that. Ridiculous. <laughs> That's your role. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay. Anyway, 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 we went way off topic, but I just wanted to say that again because, you know, I just like saying it. <laughs> but um, I think if, if we're all good, I think we are, um, it's a wrap for today. And, you know, if you guys have anything or want to continue the conversation on Twitter, please feel free to do so. Um, we're at Cinema Noir on Twitter, um, and you can use the hashtag CIN, C-I-N-N-O-I-R, and we'll be happy to hear from you. Thanks, ladies, for another great show. Thank you. you Yeah, Yeah, we'll see you guys in in two weeks for a Twitter chat. Yay! Yep. Happy Sunday.